0: Technology is cyclical, and over the last 60 years, one of the big cycles we've seen is the conversion from centralized computing with mainframes into distributed computing on desktops and back into centralized computing with cloud. And so... Most consumers and most people think about cloud as really this this rec- you know, this this movement back into centralization. But as it relates to IT systems and desktops and the actual end user experience of what they interact with on a day to day basis, terminal services, now what we recall DAS, VDI, virtual desktop, these sorts of things have been around twenty plus years. And in, I had the pleasure of talking with Gary Coben, Kevin Sullivan with I, uh, Evolve IP, about their DAS platform and how they're enabling and helping businesses. We talk about the four pillars. I actually think there's a fifth pillar of things that they actually really enable with their DAS platform. And, and really how DAS is a tool to solve business problems and how many business problems really can be addressed and solved with DAS that aren't actually even really considered a lot of times. It's a very fun conversation for me. I hope you get something out of it as well gary but you know other than that you know i wouldn't worry about it too much (laughs) oh goodness yeah it's um i mean nowadays if like you're not used to just talking blankly into your computer screen you know it's just do people actually exist anymore i'm not really sure so we're in we're in we're in that world
1: we'll start it that way huh so my name is gary cove and i'm the um senior vice president of the channel here at evolve ip um 2023 marks uh year number 15 for me at the ch- at the helm of the channel at evolve ip and uh so uh, always excited to talk to my good friend max clark
2: yeah max uh kevin sullivan i am the director of solutions engineering here at evolve ip specifically focused on our compute practice and uh may not have the the tenure of gary but i am working on year number seven here at evolve and have been in the cloud space since uh, around 2012 or so so have uh definitely been around the block a few times but not as many as Gary.
1: Well, he's a lot smarter than me so it, 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 you know t- it took me twice as long just to to get uh, the way. You know, I right. want to
0: actually segue on this for a second because uh, the other day I was in a conversation and the average tenure now for senior executives at a company is right around 2 years. CISOs I think is 18 months, CIOs is like 20 to 24 months ish as like when you look at stats that's the average tenure. And yeah, it, it's Seventeen years, fifteen years, and seven years is—I um, wouldn't really equate it to tribal knowledge, but when you start, when you talk about like um, longevity of uh, you, you know um, experience and roles and leadership and just like that arc of like watching the business evolve over that period of time—that uh, says a lot. I mean, that's a that's a pretty—I don't—I don't know how you like leverage that or talk about that more, but a, a lot of what I've started talking about with companies is. You know, if you're expecting your staff to turnover every two years, like how are you onboarding and training and bringing people up to speed? And is an MSP a good place for you to be looking at, anyways? Because that MSP is going to give you that, you know, um, that that continuity, you know, of operations that maybe you can't you can't get yourself anymore.
1: So you know, I'll, I'll throw a comment in there because, uh, oddly enough, I have a. 31-year-old daughter that also works for Evolve IT. <laughs> she, she, she runs our um, account management group. Um, so the, the, the interesting thing, of course, is when we get into the technology, um, you know, when you reach my age, 60 plus, um, you know, my expectation is, if, is that, if my PC breaks, I expect my company to buy it. Her expectation was, I'm not using it anyway. I have my, I'm using my MacBook. I just want access to your desktop. Um, now, when it comes to longevity, what I remind her of, and I would remind all young people, is that the guys and gals making the decisions to hire people are in my generation and we value tenure and we value seniority and we value time. We don't value people that have, you know, five different jobs in ten different years. So
0: um of all of IP, I mean, this is not a new business, obviously. It's been around for a while. How did let's 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 uh let's put it this way like how did all evolve IP start? Like, what was it? St- what was the problem or the focus at inception? you know, what was, what did it see in the market? What was the like, we're going to go out and tackle this problem. And then uh, um, fast forward me to like present day, you know, what is what is the the, the service, you know, uh, you could say either verticals or or segments that you're focused on.
1: So so I would say that one of the themes about evolve IP that has always been common back when I started in 2008 to the to to the present is we wanted to be more than a single threaded provider um, when I think back to 2008 it was a completely different market we were you know one of the original broadsoft shops for UCAS and in its infancy we had a contact center play we had Um, hosted applications in terms of things like exchange and um, uh, we had a security uh, practice too that was based on things like antivirus and hosted firewall we knew that that thematically if companies bought one solution they were more apt to continue to buy additional solutions and that has you know truly been the cornerstone of what we've tried to do over the years. Now, um, as Kevin will tell you, um, when he joined the company was in the beginning of virtual desktop. We were, as, as far as I can tell, we had to be one of the very first people that were out in the marketplace talking about hosted VDI. Um, and so when I look at, what the company does today, you know, we're focused in, you know, primarily four core areas, right? You know, we know what's happened to in, in the UCAS market. So we are, you know, from a voice perspective, focused entirely on Microsoft Teams Enterprise Voice and Cisco WebEx Enterprise Voice. Um, and but I think a big focus for us these days is in. Hosted desktops for, for a lot of reasons. Um, one of them being you can't get PCs in bulk now, even if you wanted to. So, um, you know, the, the continuation of geopolitical forces and global chip shortages um, and the ability for IT professionals to do more with less we think is driving the market for virtual desktop as contact centers begin to move their people remote, right? There there's, you know, when they're working in their living room, they no longer have access to an on-site supervisor. Hence the continued proliferation of collaboration platforms like a teams, like a zoom, like a Webex. More importantly though, the last person you want to buy a $2,000 PC for is for an employee whose average tenure is less than six months. Um, So we are really starting to see that be a big lift for us. Um, So still in the contact center space, but, but we also, we have our own intellectual property for contact center. And I would say that's pretty much fundamentally for customers that are heavily embedded in Microsoft Teams or Cisco WebEx. But we also have the ability, which I'm sure Kevin will share later on, is we have the ability to stand up any UCAS or contact center platform inside of our desktop because of, you know, again, you know, when 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 you when you liken the what VMware and Citrix has done relative to enabling real-time audio video. Um, our ability to run a 5.9 client or run uh, Zoom or run an Avaya client inside of our desktop is really making, it is really making, is really driving things from a virtual desktop perspective for us. So I think, again, just to summarize, when you think about where we started and where we are today, it's still very much the same thing. We wanted to be. Um, a multifaceted supplier that offered multiple solutions for the for the primary reason of driving more revenue and retaining customers for a longer period of time.
0: I'm share something here really quickly, which I want to talk about here. So, this is your website. This is your homepage. You have some really small logos listed on your landing page, and and this is. What I have I find with a lot, you know, and Evolve I would put into this category, right? Like, you know, if I walk down the street and I said to somebody, "Hey, you know, do you know Evolve IP?" You know, probably not going to say yes, right? You know, it's a very you're, you're you're have a very specific niche in terms of the market and and who you're going after. But um, let's see here: Madison Square Garden, Nike, Ford, Marriott, Chick fil A. Pre- I'm sure everybody has heard of at least four of those companies, if not all of them and what you're talking about you know i mean terminology and i i I hate the marketing mumbo jumbo that technology gets into so like ucas and ccas and this that and that cas but um you know when you talk about hosted desktop and you talk about a ucas i mean you're talking about really the the core computing collaboration and you know and base like foundational for work for a company, right? A company needs, if they have people interacting with a computer, they need computers, they need desktops, they need to communicate with each other, they need to communicate internally, they need to communicate externally. Um, You know, not every company would say they run a contact center, but almost every company runs some sort of interaction with either clients or vendors calling them, customers or vendors calling them. And really, that's contact center functionality for most people, you know, like, do you need to record your phone calls? I mean, that's a contact center. Do you need to do agent training? That's a contact center. So um, but anyways, y- you know, the the virtual desktop thing is always kind of interesting to me. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I want to dig into this, because you guys see this as a service provider. So obviously, our your customers come to you in part because they're interested in virtual desktop. And and so we have, you know, VDI, we have DAS, we have hosted desktop. I mean, there's all these different terminologies that come into, you know, what is what versus the other thing. But this isn't like, I mean, at this point, I remember seeing my first Microsoft based virtualized desktop, I think in 1998, you know, which of course, and this was on Microsoft NT four terminal services 1 and that concept of having resources centralized and then a screen display remote goes way back to the birth of everything with the original mainframes the original you know microcomputers and and the birth of the internet in the 60s i mean you're you're <laughs> it's it's like it's new it's like this is the new thing right for companies to be looking at that's really like 60 plus years old right so um and 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 I want to hear, actually, your take on this, because when I start talking about this with somebody that doesn't have experience with it, they'll say something to me like, well, what does it look like? And I'm like, well, what do you mean, what does it look like? What happens when you turn your computer on? That's what it looks like. It's just your computer's not on your computer anymore. It's like over here in this other place instead. So walk me through that conversation of somebody who... I, I think there's... You, you touched, Gary, you touched on a, on a on a business problem, right? Like, how do we get equipment to... To an employee, how do we buy the equipment, source the equipment, deliver the equipment, manage the equipment? What do we do if the employee turns over? Right. I mean, there's 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 more problem statements than that. I want to dig into, but you know, so you know, somebody that's going out to solve this problem, you know, let's talk about that interaction of like, you know, how do they? What's the journey look like for them?
2: <clears throat> yeah, I was gonna say, if you don't mind, Mac, you, you touched on a couple interesting things there, right? So. First and foremost, I agree with you, right? We live in a, a cyclical industry, and I feel like IT in general has been a constant pendulum swing from distributed to consolidated computing, right? We constantly go back and forth, right? Mainframe virtualization, distributed computing, edge computing. We're constantly making that, that variation. So on that point, right, re- remote desktop capabilities have been around. I mean, the protocols that we leverage to connect to them are almost as old as I am, right? It, it has been around since the 90s. And interestingly enough, that technology, for the most part, hadn't really fundamentally changed throughout that time. So a lot of the same ways that folks were envisioning connecting to those desktop resources back in that early 2000s era was still the way things were done a year or two ago. And in some organizations, still the way things are done today. The big thing that has been a game changer for the industry is now the ability to do optimized real-time audio and video in a desktop, right? And, and just like yourself, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of terminology and buzzwords because I feel like we tend to set ourselves up for failure a lot with that because a lot of times like, you say a word like optimization, right? And it means different things to different people depending on who it is that's receiving the message. So really what we're talking about now is, you know, historically you think about VDI, you think about desktop as a service, you think about remote, ser- remote desktop services, terminal services, those things always had one thing in common. They always fell down with anything that was a media-rich user experience, right? Mm-hmm. Audio, video, it just weren't flat-out good enough to, to handle that from a user experience side as far as performance went. Mostly, that was a combination of two things, right? The protocol that you used to deliver the desktop, right? So again, we're still using RDP, which has been around since the 90s. Um, and the fact that virtual machines that we're connecting to in, in our modern iterations of, of desktop and VDI just aren't good at doing that work, right? Like a virtual processor is just not good at doing audio and video. So, you know, how do we address that? Well, that technology hasn't changed. Those virtual processors still aren't good at doing that. But what has changed is now the data delivery solutions are now intelligent enough to make use of a client's local resources, right? We don't want to get too too far into the weeds mm-hmm. on this from a technical perspective, but what that ultimately means for us is now true mobility and portability, right? Now, in that virtual desktop, no matter where you're connecting to it from, you can do all of the things that you need to do in order to function as an employee. So your, your voice calls, your video calls, you know, you name it. And you, you hit on another great point, right? I think the challenge in selling this and talking about this and and going into the market with this is it's underwhelming by design. A desktop is a desktop is a desktop, right? We don't want it to be complicated because we understand users have all different levels of technical aptitude. So it then becomes more what are the business challenges that a desktop solution, if it's well-formed and well-articulated, allow us to solve. And I'm a huge fan of like making things overly simplistic and mnemonic devices and things like that. So you know, the, the way I approach it is DAS is simple, right? And simple kind of tying back to security, mobility, performance, and logistics. Those are the four main key areas from a business challenge perspective that a well-formed DAS or desktop solution can help an organization solve for.
1: May I add something to that? Because what I think is very interesting is that there has been a fundamental shift between the conversations that were going on in boardrooms in 2022 to the conversations that are going on in boardrooms today. And here's what I mean by that. Um, Last year, we were talking about, okay, the pandemic is over, but remote work is here to stay. How do I make my user's experience that works from home the same as my user's experience that works from the office? Now, all of a sudden, we've come into 2023. There isn't a a news feed that I don't get on a daily basis that announces a new slew of layoffs impacting all companies, all sectors, all geographies. So all of a sudden now, the thing that's on your customer's mind is... um, I have to do more with less. I'm going to have to have, you know, I'm not concerned about controlling my budget. I'm concerned about the fact that my budget will be cut. I'm concerned with the fact that my headcount will be reduced. I'm concerned over the fact that I've got significant constraints going on within IT. The 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 thing about the whole concept of the PC process. I got to procure it. I got to provision it. I got to secure it. I've got to manage and support it. I've got to refresh it. And now the one that's concerning everybody, I got to go reclaim that asset. So all of a sudden, in 2023, we are looking at a very, very different marketplace. And we believe that that marketplace will drive the largest adoption of desktop as a service for two reasons. The first being that the business is going to demand it. And the second being is that the user experience per Kevin is as good, if not better than it would be by going the Best Buy and buying a brand new PC.
0: There's a lot to unpack, right? So going back to Kevin's four things, right? So two of the things that you touched on, security, mobility, or actually three things. Security, mobility, logistics. What was your fourth? Performance
2: or productivity. Okay, performance.
0: Um, so like real world horror stories I've experienced personally. Um, somebody uh, has information in an excel spreadsheet that they probably shouldn't have in an excel spreadsheet saved to their desktop and leaves that laptop in their car and their car is broken into and all of a sudden that laptop walks off um into who knows where and then you find out that that laptop contains the a spreadsheet detailing the personal information, salary, social security numbers, home addresses, and um, maybe bank account information for every single person in the company. And then you turn into a, oh my goodness, <laughs> let's just pray that they don't turn this laptop on and poke around in here and that they're just trying to harvest it for parts and what do we do about it? So that was, uh, I've, I've experienced this more than once. Um I haven't been the one losing a laptop, but I've experienced this, this phone call. Logistics, um, logistics, I mean, the last two years, it's been a, I mean, there's a, how do we ship equipment to people at their houses and get them working and connected to our network, which then exposes a similar experience, which is how do we, um, what's the push? It's how do we have, how do we ensure that we don't have corporate-owned data on personal devices. That's usually the request that comes across. It's like the coded for, you know, I have a mandate for my supply chain for my customers. In order to do business with them, I need to ensure that their data doesn't end up on a a non-corporate owned endpoint. And how do we ensure that, right? Or, you know, um, how do we onboard a person in a location where they can't drive to our office? My personal favorite. Hey, we're, um, we're augmenting with a team in, pick a country, Colombia, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, in indonesia somewhere in europe i mean like basically pick put a pin on the map somewhere and say okay um we are now going to spin up you know 100 200 300 employees in this market and 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 that ends up being an interesting thought exercise where you're like okay well you know we're going to now ship equipment into that market so we need to ship let's just say as a, as a company profile or, or, or a risk profile you say it's it's totally okay for us to, to ship two thousand dollars worth of equipment to somebody in Colombia or in Brazil or, or Indonesia or whatever, right? Because I mean, you say reclaiming these assets, you you do that knowing you're never going to see that box again, right? But it's okay for you. It's just, it just fits into your profile. And, and I've seen, I've seen people do this and then they discover this, this horrible thing called customs. And let's just say that they found a place to ship the equipment, then they ship the equipment and then this equipment goes on customs hold for, for importation taxes and who knows what else reasons just because it got lost in a loading dock and it's sitting on a loading dock for 3 to 6 weeks where you can't touch it now you're you've got people you can't on board right so um i i don't i don't think a lot of people really connect a there's another way of doing this so i want to you know i really like i said i want to unpack this in terms of you know real world what kind of problems or you know cuz when i hear it like okay we're going to ship equipment to you know some market right or how do we ensure it's on uncor- you know like traditional you know mdm or uem solutions come up you know mobile device management or your unified endpoint management come up like oh, okay you know we can secure this device by saying you can't you can't um you know we're gonna we're gonna create a profile in the uem that says you can't copy data onto your usb drive but it's you know like it shifts a lot when you start talking about what does this mean for daz so i don't know who wants to bite into this over there if, if gary or kevin yeah Anna, I'll, wants, i'm wants, always wants happy to, to start <laughs>
2: yeah always happy to take a, a first pass here max and gary uh, gary's always good at the color commentary over the top so certainly open to gary interject at any point if you if you think you you know it's helpful but so those are all great points and and there's a whole other side of this too that we didn't even touch in that which is Let's assume for a moment that none of the things that you just expressed are concerns actually go sideways on us, which is a heck of an assumption because odds are at least one, if not several of them are going to. But now there's a compliance problem sprinkled into this as well, right? So depending on the location where we're, we're sending that equipment or where those users are working, what if there's a GDPR requirement that you know they're required by their government to work exclusively on data that's in the location from which they're connecting, So, you know, just just a a whole other complexion that that gets added into the myriad of potential issues with distribution of equipment out to remote users in other locations, especially internationally. Um, So all of that said, right, the, the foremost part of this is how do we extend out to remote users, wherever they may be, this idea that, hey, I have these four logical walls that I've built of my data center, right? And historically all of my servers all of my data all of my stuff is there but when people need to work on that stuff we're breaking containment right we're taking things out of that protected environment to do whatever we're going to do to it and then we put it back when we're done so the argument that you know we make or or any daz provider makes is hey, why not take where your people are doing their work on that stuff and put it directly next to where that stuff is, right? So now those four logical walls, from a security perspective, from a compliance perspective, apply not only to your data, not only to your servers, but where your people are working as well, because now they're just connecting across the internet into that environment to do whatever it is that they need to do as part of doing their job. Um, In addition to that, right, just by virtue of having those things in that four-wall four, you know, structure, we now make manageability of the environment easier too, right? Because now we don't have to worry, you know, You know, if you're an, an IT admin, I'm an IT admin, it's hard enough managing all of the devices, the desktops, the laptops that are in our office and our branch locations. The last two years have now, you know, exponentially increased the challenges of dealing with these devices that are everywhere, right? So... If we can control where those devices are and have a single management pane into them, one single location where we can do things, I mean, human nature to me says that when something's easier to do, we tend to do it more often and better, right? So things like patching, right? Like antivirus definition distribution. So it becomes easier to manage our environments. And when we manage our environments, our environments inherently become more secure as well. So again, I know we're kind of jumping between some of those different things that we siloed out, but all of these things are interconnected, right? The logistical problems go hand in hand with the security problems because if folks are taking that laptop and we're shipping it out to Columbia and they're pulling data down on it locally and that laptop goes missing, like you said, very problematic depending on what the nature of that data is. And sure, you have to worry about the liability of personal information, but especially in like the healthcare field as well, now, even if no one ever acts on that data does that constitute a breach? Do you have to report that? Are there fines that are levied onto your organization? Does it become increasingly more challenging to get cybersecurity insurance going forward too, which is you know, a whole other financial consideration that goes into this as well?
1: You know, I, I gotta add some color to this because as I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm thinking about this um, and I'm looking at everybody's background. So I live in Philadelphia. My office is in Philadelphia. Today, I am working from home. I see Kevin's background, he's working from home. I see Max's background, he's wor- working from home. So you got four guys with a lot of tenure, we're all working from home. The last time I checked, most of the people in my IT department, they work from home too. And that further add an element of complexity to this, when those 350 machines show up in King of Prussia or show up at my IT's employees' apartment building on a pallet, right? Like, I think we're all forgetting the fact that we still need to do three to four hours of work on a factory PC before it's even ready to be sent to an employee to use. Um, again, last time I checked with Kevin, the average time, you know, not you're not doing a lot, but the average time to provision a new, brand new PC is probably three to four hours. Of course, what do we love about virtual desktop? I can provision 300 virtual desktops in 10 minutes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and 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 your example is not an exaggeration of let's ship 300 devices and our IT person lives in an apartment because and like okay we're going to have a pallet delivered because it has to be t- you know like this is i I feel like I feel like daz gets um I feel like a lot of things in tech people immediately go to it from a you know how do we quantify cost and cost reduction and cost savings and you say okay what's our current it program and how does that map up against going into a DAS platform? and by the way you guys offer different versions and flavors of of remote desktop so we should talk about that too but you know when you when you line those up you say oh you know i'm going to best buy and i'm buying a pc for 300 bucks and it's you know that's it and i run this pc for you know 20 years right but um that's not really the mentality of what you're solving with daz this isn't like a hey we're going to find you a cheaper way to run a pc versus going to best buy and buying it i mean you're you're talking about real business problems of how do you manage users at scale how do you provide logistics at scale how do you solve compliance issues at scale how do you solve cross border data domain issues at scale you know like this is um you know how do you how do you manage an efficient it operation at scale you know i mean I started in it, I think the ratios were 65 to one. So 65 employees to one it person. And, uh, you, you know, last one, last stat I saw it was like 165 to one, and I'm sure that stats going up and, you know, so it's, it's, I, I think the mentality around DAS has to shift a little bit in terms of like, this isn't competing with buying a $300 PC. And also when I saw this the first time again, 1998, we were talking about MTBF on devices, right? So a PC maybe had a, had a usable life of two to three years, you know, just with, with technology advancement and, and, uh, um, you know, manufacturing quality, but the thin devices at that point had a 30 year MTBF estimate. I mean, there was no fan, there was no moving parts, there was no hard drive, there was nothing. I mean, you, you know, one of them had a demo where they would come to your office and like literally put the thing in a bowl of water and take it out with a hairdryer and then plug it in. Um, and I mean, really impressive, but you know, we, we get into this conversation also around like what does the device look like? Well, what device do I use? What device and, and it's in many cases, it's just it's the device you already have, right? Like I mean, how you know, if somebody's onboarding into your platform and is going to use evolve IP, you know it, it, you don't see very many like thousand person like we just materialized out of thin air with a thousand employees, right? Like there is there is a legacy legacy and a lineage of that IT program what does that conversion look like? And, and then what does that onboarding, you know, really entail? And, and then how does that evolve as time passes? Right? Like there's like today's state, tomorrow state, next year's state. And, and how does that change?
1: I want Kevin to talk about that. I just got to jump onto a previous comment because it's one seller and two engineers. So, um, I, and I say that, you know, with much love, um, I can tell you that in the beginning days of selling for us, for selling Daz, you know, in 2012, 13, 14, 15, we would invariably get the, well, after 18 months at X amount of dollars per month, I could go buy a PC. I learned as a seller that if you... Don't understand the soft cost. Don't understand the cost to procure and provision and support and manage and maintain and reclaim and refresh. if you don't if you don't get that yourself, I'm walking. I'm out the door and And I guess in in the successes that we've had, you know, when a, when a CIO or a CTO says, I want to go virtual, I want to be out of the data center business, they will do everything in their power to prove out those financials, right? When, when you start thinking about 500 PCs at three hours, you know, per PC, 1,500 man hours, that is a lot, a lot of money. So from a financial perspective um you know is it the cost of the device? It's never the cost of the device it's the cost of the of the of of the of the desk side support that really counts. so I just wanted to get that point out but but let's get to Kevin Well, also back to the also
0: on that thought Gary um if you've ever been in it and have to go into a procurement function or your finance function and say, we need to purchase five hundred desktops at this dollar amount. That conversation devolves into something else very quickly as well um you know and and a lot of that conversation turns into you know what's the depreciation schedule how do we how do we depreciate this asset? are we purchasing it? Are we not purchasing it? are we leasing it are we not leasing it is it an f m v lease is it a dollar cost buyout lease? There is so much conversation around that asset that just deals with how that asset gets booked into, you know, onto your balance sheet and dealt with on the balance sheet. And I've seen companies, depending on where they are in their life cycle, that want to don't want to put more stuff on their balance sheet. And that just becomes a like, sure, we know our PCs need to be replaced because three years ago we agreed that at three years they were going to be replaced, but now we don't want to do it because we can't, we we don't want this on our balance sheet. Um, or it, you know, like there, there's, so th- that opens up a completely different discussion where it's like, oh yeah, you know, we had this original aging cycle of like at three years, we're going to refresh our PCs because that's what we're supposed to do. But like, what happens if we don't like, let's not re- refresh our PCs for, you know, for another two years, you know, like, can we do that? Can we get away with it? And, um, you know, when I was, um, when I was starting in it, Um, I had a, a a mentor who basically explained, you know, what people experience in terms of like, you know, your, your end user experience and like impact a culture of like sitting down at a desk and turning a computer on and like what enraged your, 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 you know, your team and what actually made them, you know, be able to do their work. But anyways, um, it's, I, I, I think there's. It's never an. E- I mean, Gary, your point's actually it's it's perfect, right? Because it's just never an easy decision. It's never just like, hey, go and buy computers, right? Like, buy computers from where? Where, where you? What's your competitive bid for computers? Are you going to bid Dell against HP in today's world? Are you you building your own stuff? Are you not building your own stuff? Who builds their own stuff? you would be crazy to build your own stuff, right? But, um, you know that that like layer eight decision and determinations, you know, really. Even in the best laid plans, once that comes into play, it changes the equation a lot.
2: Yeah, and that that doesn't Max touch on the soft cost side of things at all, right? So especially for organizations that are looking to, you know, operationalize those expenses, right? Move that move that hardware purchase to that more of an OpEx model than a CapEx model. Um, but you, know, you guys both touched on this, and sorry, you got me to the point now that I'm taking notes as we're going because there are so many things I want to circle back to, um, but. You guys touched on this already, right? If you just take the cost of a device and divide it by 36 months, that's going to win every time because that's just not paying any attention to the root of the challenges that we're looking to solve, right? So industry averages, and this is probably from a year or two ago. I'm sure they've changed. But with a DAS solution, you're looking at potentially up to a 30% reduction in costs of your administration for your desktop users, right? So that's just all the systems admin, you know, adding users, MACDs, keeping the lights on from an infrastructure perspective. Add to that, you're looking at potential up to 60% reduction of costs around help desk support of those users, right? So just by simplifying the fact that, hey, regardless of who you are in the organization, regardless of where you are, you now access everything the same way. So you're supported the same way, and it simplifies that support process. Also, again, just having that higher manageability helps with that, too, because now, Your users will tend to need less support than they did previously. And the nature of their problems that they do have when they have them are gonna change. But that all ties into the device aspect of this, right? So just like we talked about being cyclical in terms of distributed and consolidated computing, I'd argue we're seeing that same kind of cyclical approach within DAS itself, right? Track record on DAS historically was always, the client device doesn't matter. It's a dumb terminal that you're just using to get to your resources. Still true, kind of right? There's a caveat on that now, right? If we're talking about optimization of audio and video in a desktop, that client device starts to matter again, right? It doesn't necessarily matter as much as if you were doing everything locally, but it needs to be a supported operating system. It needs to have at least the resources to run whatever audio and video program you're looking to optimize if it's going to be doing the heavy lifting of that audio and video encoding and decoding. So, Yeah, we're still in a position where thin clients are an option, right, especially thin clients that run things like Windows 10 IoT that have a fully formed operating system that run on them. Zero clients, we see some. We don't see as much as I would have expected that we would have a few years ago, but I feel like that market hasn't really massively taken off. But the biggest piece is exactly what you just said, right? allowing folks to continue to utilize hardware they already have in hand that otherwise depreciated to the point of no longer being relevant in the organization right long fancy way of saying hey we bought this thing six years ago if i were going to go out and buy you a computer now there's no way i would ever buy you that one but it still works so until it stops working use it to connect to your desktop and now your client device has cost us zero dollars for this next budget cycle
1: you know so it's so interesting you think of how many IT departments have stacks and stacks of four gig machines that one nobody has the heart to throw out because they still power up, but they're just too well.
2: They're also afraid to throw them out because they they may have corporate data on them. To you know, to, to tie back to our earlier part of the conversation, they might be terrified.
1: Right, and someone and, and someone from the EPA is going to come over and find them because of all the yeah, you know. So, so all of those all of a sudden become relevant. All e-waste
0: is a is a problem unto itself. I mean, with these things, and how many how many IT departments have stacks of computers? I mean, every single one. I mean, have you ever walked into a building and asked to see their IT storage closet, and it's not just a complete disaster of stuff stacked to the ceiling? Um, you guys don't want me to pan my camera around right now. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's terrible. Um, You know, uh, Kevin, you talk about like reduction of of admin costs and reduction of help desk costs, you know, this isn't like going out and, you know, saying a reduction of admin or help desk costs by saying you're gonna lower your headcount. It's just when we start talking about these ratios, of like how many people, what are they doing? What else they can do? I mean, IT teams are already trying to do too much, there's too much stuff to do. And the whole like, I can't turn my computer on, I can't print, I can't sign in, like, I can't, you know, like, like, there's, there's something amazing about First off, I mean, I'll go back to a thin client for a second. There's something amazing about a thin client device because it doesn't do anything. And if for some reason it breaks, you just replace it with another device and the device costs you almost nothing anyways, and your troubleshooting cycle just changes. It's like, oh, here's a new box, you know, on the desk. Um, and, you know, and I, th- I think there's also a, um, a mistake that gets made or a, a misconception, which is, a migration to Microsoft to Microsoft 365 to Office 365 and consumption of cloud services, you know, saying, hey, we're going to be on SharePoint and OneDrive and, and, you know, and of course, you know, hosted Exchange, hosted Outlook now through it, that doesn't alleviate these processes and these costs. Like, you still have help desk and you still have configuration and you still have user assistance and you still have onboarding and you still have all this stuff that you still have to do. So... Moving into Microsoft 365 doesn't sh- doesn't alleviate this stuff for you. It just changes what your problem area is, right? Like it's like this isn't like you know there, there's not like oh we flipped the switch and we're on SharePoint now and we don't have to deal with this anymore, right? Like that's that's not the case.
2: Yeah, correct, right? And and you know I, I've had the luxury of having been on both sides of this equation, right? So I, you know prior to working on the cloud side of it. I was an IT director for a consolidated back office for a number of real estate investment firms and you know one of the things that we struggled with was was you know budgetarily like you said right how IT's always been asked to do more with less and you know as Gary mentioned earlier the state of things right now in the world IT's being asked to do more and more with more less right <laughs> like budgets probably have never been tighter than they are right more? now
0: more more with more or less. We're going to we're going to we're going to caption <laughs> trademark, that. Gonna, right? I got yeah. I got
2: to get that on a T-shirt somewhere. Um, but I'm a huge proponent of if you're ever talking to a service provider and they start to tell you about how you can reduce your staffing and your headcount, eject from that conversation, because having been on that side of it, it's no one's. To me, it was never anyone else's business when I was dealing with vendors of how I managed my team. You can tell me all the ways that I can augment my team and the ways that I can help them. But what we should all be driving towards isn't reduction of staff. It's how do you better utilize the resources that you have to be seen as more of an asset to the business than a cost center. Because in my experience from the corporate IT side, that was always the struggle, right? IT was always seen as this bottomless pit that organizations just threw money into and never saw a return of. So if we can simplify a lot of the administ- uh, the administrative parts of the job, all the keep the lights on stuff that, frankly, most of us don't enjoy doing anyway... Now we can free ourselves up to be more of an asset to help with line of business applications and productivity enhancements and developing new processes and workflows. And IT can now start to actually impact the business in a meaningful way, as opposed to just being something that a business spends money
1: on. You know, Max, you know how, how, we, how we hope this recording will help us? With all of what we're talking about here, we still don't think CIOs wake up in the morning and say, I got to go shop for a Daz solution. They wake up in the morning pulling their hair out saying, I got a security problem, a logistics problem, a productivity problem. Um, I've got I've got all of these issues that I don't know how to solve, but yet the solution exists. So,
0: it's so funny you say that, Gary. I what I do for our clients is translate it's just I, I mean it's just that business problem to acronym in the technology stack that solves that business problem. And that's 99% of it, it's just, you know, it's it's impossible. To, I mean, I have a lot of friends in the military, and it is funny. I mean, you know, of course, you can never rival the military in terms of acronyms. But when you start talking about, like, cybersecurity, for instance, I mean, they're really trying. But, you know, Kevin, you, you had, like, four pillars. You, you had, like, the four things, right? Security, mobility, logistics, performance. And, Gary, you were just talking about something, and I think there's really, like, a fifth part to this here, which is... And, and, Kevin, you, talk, you said you use the words, you know, like this, like, bottomless pit or, like, black hole of budgeting. Traditional IT is a variable cost center and unpredictable, right? And that's a really bad thing when you start talking about if you're trying to model or budget from a finance standpoint or if you're trying to, on a, on a C-suite level, a senior executive level, forecast and create predictable inputs and outputs for a business. And sometimes, you know, at a certain scale, that's what we start talking about, right? Can we have a predictable input or output? Um, You know, are we doing a merger acquisition play? Is this a roll up play? Do we have predictability in how we do these roll up plays? You know, um, I don't know if they're public, so I uh, it's public knowledge, but I I won't use their names. But there are PEs that are rolling up companies that are customers of yours. And how much of that is just being able to say, This is what you're going to spend per device or per desktop or per endpoint or per user. And this is just what it is like, like, you know, how much of that conversation are you getting into with companies around, you know, this isn't like we're going to make it cheaper than this $300 PC that you Frankenstein yourself, you know, we're solving these other problems. But hey, guess what? This is your number going forward. And, you know, do you see a lot of that?
2: Yeah, tons. And. Honestly, healthcare was was the leading edge of that because I feel like with the way healthcare organizations did their M&A-based growth three, four years ago even, predictable cost model for per-user expenses was was massive. Um, Mm -hmm. They're out there acquiring practices, and I think one of the companies that we dealt with said when they did a new practice acquisition of a clinical healthcare organization, it was taking four to six months to get them transitioned to their in-house systems. So... Granted, that doesn't mean that everyone's just sitting there waiting while, you know, their their keyboards collect dust for four to six months, but you're certainly not operating at the level of efficiency that you want to. So mm-hmm. by having the predictable cost model and by having, you know, an easily scalable system that correlates to that, now you can add those users and you know, if it's one user, if it's five users, if it's 5,000 users, it really doesn't matter because now we can break it down to hey a das seat costs this from a licensing perspective. you're going to license that person for office 365 at this version. you're going to add in this security additional you know features for message filtering, whatever whatever those add-ons may be and come up with X number of dollars per user for Y users and that's now your your growth tra- trajectory and again it's true of adding a single seat, or adding an entire practice it doesn't matter there's no real variable there
0: um, yeah and if you're dealing and if you're dealing with a an industry that has a relatively predictable application base right so like dentists use Dentrix, right or if you're in healthcare you're using this or if you're a, a veterinarian you use what i mean like there's to a certain degree you know insurance right like there's there's only so many primary applications that are inside those th- you know places and if you look at it from like a rinse and repeat in this roll up or, or you know like. Now it becomes a really easy selection process. Okay, we're looking for a target that fits this profile and runs one of these three applications, and we know we can go acquire them and integrate them in 30 days, right? Like, this isn't like a, a you know, that's the other part of it, right? Where you now have predictability of integration and not just, um, it's not just predictability of cost, it's predictability of integration and how quickly can you, you know, actually affect what you're trying to do from a strategy, right?
1: You said something earlier, Max, that I I was just so fascinated by. You talked about the black hole of IT, the unpredictability of IT. You know, in in recent years, and I'm thinking about how many nervous IT professionals are walking into the boardroom right now in fear that the CFO says, you guys are a cost center and not a profit center. (laughs) You know? That you know, and again, if this was twenty twenty one or twenty nineteen or whatever, maybe it wouldn't make a difference, but this is the year of the recession, so the worst thing in the- i mean the worst curse word in the world now is to be is to be told you're the head of a cost center, not the head of a profit center
2: max if i may i'm I'm kind of curious for your perception on this because. One, If you take an outside looking in view, right, I would think that what we all dealt with as an industry through 2020 and into 2021 would have started to change that perception, right? Because every organization out there leaned on their IT team to, you know, turn lead into gold, as it were. So I get now we're, we're, you know, heading into some economic downtimes and, and, you know, potentially in or on a looming recession, you know, but why if that last two year stretch didn't help organizations see just how much of an asset their IT team can be? You know, if that didn't happen, how do we make that happen now? Because that that to me is like, you know, multiple exclamation points, triple underline, showing the value that IT could bring to an organization.
0: I can answer for that in, in two different examples. And I'll make two different examples. Um, the first example would be, let's just use internet access. Um, You know, at this point, Internet is the fourth utility for every organization, right? Like, you have to have network connectivity, Internet access in order to function. But when it comes down to it and you look at, okay, well, what Internet do we need for a building? Like, for the majority of organizations, the actual logo delivering that circuit doesn't matter to them. Like, there's no strategic value or difference for most people of saying, we have logo A versus logo B versus logo C. It's just who's available. When you when you, when you you decide to purchase a house or move into an office building, very few people are actually looking at that and saying, who's the utility provider as a strategic value? Now, when we do data center work, absolutely 100%, that's part of the equation for us. We want to know who the utility provider is. And given... You know, strategically, two locations that utility provider makes a big difference in the actual success of that project and the strategic value of that asset, right? But that's not normal, and and at the same time, the other example I would give you would be, um, you know, this would be traditionally an office space. You know, is an office space an asset for the company and the business, or is it just something that you have to have so you have a cubicle for people to go work out of? And some companies use their office space as an asset for the business to develop and maintain culture for the company, or, or um, you know, as a as a recruiting you know and retention strategy, or as a client acquisition play, right? And they really invest in their facilities, and a lot don't. A lot. So I, I, IT fits into that same thing where it's not, for most people, they don't, most companies don't view IT as a, you know, it's a cost center. It's like, we have to have this thing because, yeah, we have to have a computer and we have to have email, but we don't really value this thing as an enabler. Now, and again, that that comes down to, you know, this is a culture issue that starts, I think, top down, right? You know, it's going to be very hard if you were hired in as an IT practitioner in one of those in you know organizations to really change the culture going bottom up, um, you can change the conversation and you can start pushing people in that direction. But it's it's it is a, a big hill to climb. Um, but yeah, I mean, have you ever heard? Let me back up a second. American Airlines is touting their technology for their reservation systems and how sophisticated they are and how they can keep track of their crews. Before Southwest had a complete and total meltdown of their thirty year old scheduling platform that completely clear, you know crippled their operations for a week, would American have ever been out there being like, "We have the best technology, look how great our business runs and we can manage planes and crews. I mean, that was an American story, but now it's a competitive differentiator for them because their competitor had such an issue and 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 it's I feel like it's it's like that, you know. When you say it's like from an outsider looking in, you know, it's that's partly outsider, you know, true, and partly insider, just you know, going through this for so long. Um, technology is a big differentiator between companies. Like you can move faster, you can do things faster, you can be more efficient, you can generate more leverage. We talk about like you know hiring people in Colombia, and I don't want to make this like a wage issue, but you know the cost of U.S. labor versus Colombian labor is different. The cost of Indonesian labor is different. And, you know, when you're, you know, competitive on a global basis, if you're not taking advantage of global resources, right. And like, these are all things that technology gives you the ability to do. Right. But, um, anyways, hopefully that kind of gives you some sense. So we, we, you know, like I get asked, like how much internet should we have? Well, you should buy as much as you can afford and, and that's what you should run, you know, like what's your budget, you know, should, should every office have 10 gig? Yes, absolutely. I want 10 gig in my house. I need it. I want it. I can't afford it. I don't have it, but you know, like I have a giggy circuit instead, but I also, I'm one of the weird ones that shopped in neighborhoods based on who had, you know, real GPON based fiber to the home. So that way I could get phenomenally fast fiber optic internet service. How many people buy a house based on that selection? Nobody. Like, that would have never been on my wife's selection criteria. Yeah,
2: on the grid, I think means a little bit different to, to folks like you and I than it does to other people, where it's like, yes, water and power, we're good.
0: There's more awareness to it, right? You know, if you had to go work from home in 2020 and you had horrible internet at your house, you were very aware of it. And I had. Clients that you know executives at companies that were you know that had horrible experiences and they knew exactly what times of the day they could not work because Virtual schooling was going on and the neighborhood was just being crushed with kids on you know video conference with their schools you and know, doing schooling from home and it, I mean again Senior executives running large companies that shifted their working hours to the point where they were working like vampires because it was the only time they could be on the internet, you know, and 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 we solved those problems for them in different ways. But but
1: you know, it is it is amazing, you know, just to shift a second here, it is amazing when you think about the change in you know, tastes, um, you know, I mean it, it, our days are consumed with going from a Teams meeting to a Zoom meeting to a Teams chat to a one-on-one WebEx meeting, whatever the case may be. Um, And, of course, these days now, if I'm not looking at you, something must be wrong. You're probably not dressed. Um, And, and, you know, and it's – and when I think about this and I think about, you know, that the, the you know, what, what we, you know, what was the global PBX market is turned on its, turned on its head because of the pandemic, right? Um, and how that, you know, and I'm not sure it's the pandemic that's going to cause this meteoric rise in the use of virtual desktop. But, I do think it's the economy that's gonna do that, and I think it's gonna take people like you max to be to be telling you know to be telling clients you you know what the problems are, but yet you haven't reached the conclusion on what the solution is.
0: Let's talk about this, right? You know you talk about like the the four things you solve i really i I think you solve five things, okay, right so four things the four core things that you solve, and there was a comment of. No CIO wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, I need to deploy a DAS solution to solve my problems, right? So what are the entry points? You know, we, we've talked about a few examples, but like, let's, I want to, let's talk about this really. Like what, what do you, you know, what is a CIO trying to solve? What is a CEO trying to solve? What is a board trying to solve that creates this? Like we have to go find a solution and hopefully they, you know, figure it out and plug the pieces in or have somebody that they're working with that can tell them like here's how you solve this problem. But, you know, what are the trigger points that people I don't want to say the whole like what keeps you up at night, you know, kind of question, but you know
1: Well I think I think it's funny. You 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 already said the first one, the client of yours that was told cut your costs by fifty percent. And that's that's a big trigger. Once they start realizing how much of their of their cost from a time perspective is doing things they they've hated doing for the last twenty years anyway. No one wants to help Mary Lou launch Excel, right? Yeah, I mean,
2: there are a lot of them, right? You know, the, the problem is we know in the industry that you know Daz is a great hammer. How do you get everyone to see the problems that they have for nails, right? So that that's that's always the struggle, and a lot of it are things we already touched on, right? Security, business continuity, compliance the auditability of an organization, right, having that higher degree of security and control. I mean, the other big one in the last two years has been workforce hybridization. And, you know, frankly, people are probably tired of hearing about it, because I know we're getting tired of talking about it. So I can only imagine it's exponentially worse being on the receiving end. Um, but even for organizations that have every intention of bringing 100% of their workforce back in-house, and I hate to think about this, right, because I don't want to, I don't want to manifest this into the world. But what happens if two months from now you decided you're bringing everyone back, everyone's back working in the office, things are are humming along, and we find ourselves right back where we were in March of 2020, right? You have to then send everyone home. So even those organizations that don't think that they need this still need a contingency in the back of their head of what happens if we go down this same path again and we have to fully hybridize our workforce or fully mobilize our workforce. So, you know, that's a big one. The security piece is always a, a huge one, and, and compliance goes hand in hand with that. Based on whatever industry you're in, and the regulatory bodies and the alphabet soup that govern it, right? You know, if you're healthcare, high trust HIPAA. If you're, you know, financial services, FINRA, FFIEC, SEC, you name it. GDPR we already talked about for for international organizations. Like, how do we leverage things that when you attempt to deal with at the board level or the CIO level? You're not going to necessarily associate of, hey, I solve my compliance issue with a client computing solution. Hey, I, I solve my business continuity problem with a client computing solution. So drawing those lines of, you know, understanding that DAS is more than just client computing. It's client computing in a way that allows us to sustain being remote. That allows us to sustain continuity of operations in the face of adversity. Uh, and then obviously the cost pieces, all that Gary mentioned, kind of sprinkled into that with the reduction of effort around supporting an
1: environment. Kevin and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, and uh, I I sure hope I can communicate this the way we were talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. In our industry, everybody's always been talking about the impending event, the impending event. People are not searching for security solutions after they've been breached. Of course, by the same token, So many of the security companies are selling FEAR, right? There's only two types of companies, those that have been breached and those that haven't been breached yet. We find it very difficult to want to talk about things like that. We also know that if we talk to a client that is in the midst of making a huge PC procurement, and all of a sudden wants to check the box and get a quote for desktop as a service, it is really just to justify the decision that they've already made. So it's just that we think that there has to be a change in the thought process with, you know, that it can't be based on the impending event. I am opening up a new location that will have 300 people and I need to supply them with something. Or, same token, I love the security elements of Daz. Right now, I'm locked out. Can you get it installed on Monday? Um, Kevin, is that a fair statement? I'm going to go to you real quick, because I know we sort of talked about that if, if we start talking about desktop as a service from the perspective of the impending event, we may already be too late.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair, right? Uh, like, like you said, if an organization is scrambling in the wake of a problem, um, then it's not so much a, a conversation around the business challenges that you can address and really looking to stem the the loss of blood from that particular wound, right? Um, so, so that's always a challenge, and, and yeah, you know, you're not going to walk into an organization that just had a network security breach as a result of a laptop or desktop that was out there in the world that got compromised and get them to seriously commit to time spent around the table to talk about, well, we can put in this desktop solution that you know has a lot of components to it and a lot of conversation that has to go around it, right? That's like telling folks, like, you know, I'm going to help you avoid getting hurt instead of putting a bandage on where you're hurt now. Uh, so, yeah, it, it definitely should be more proactive than reactionary, but... Even in organizations like that, there's still an opportunity for us to talk about ways that this solution can help them. They're probably just going to be looking to pull the trigger on something that's a bit more um, point-in-time reactionary to the specific nature of the problem that they had.
1: And it's funny, the the last component on that is I am sure the wounds are still still wide open on the immediate panic that set in in March 2020 when everybody said – get out and don't come back, that my guess is that most IT professionals wanna to try to avoid what they had to do during the pandemic, which adds yet another element of you know having this be a much more proactive conversation.
0: You know, I had, this is, I mean, it's so relevant to what you asked earlier in terms of like the relationship between IT and companies. Um, And I have a client who had done a Teams voice deployment, I mean, in January of 20, I think is when it went live, December of 19, January of 20. I mean, something right there. It was fresh enough that there was organizational resistance coming back of like well what do you you know where's my physical phone and I don't have my my speed dial button anymore to call you know to call my wife's cell phone or, or what you know what just anytime you forklift a major piece of technology like what comes out of it on the other side and and then shutdown orders came in and everybody was forced into a work from home and um, and within two weeks the conversation had completely shifted where, you know, just, just, just by happenstance and by, by timing and luck, you know, the IT team had deployed, you know, something that became massively business enabling for the company and they were ready to go. And it just, it was just timing. I mean, you talk about like preparing for the event. I mean, I spent 20 years in Southern California talking about the 10.0 earthquake that we have to prepare for. And it took me I feel like a decade to actually understand that most companies just wanted to talk about it. They didn't actually want to do anything to really prepare for it. Wow. <laughs> you know, like let's, let's see. What right. do you want to go to next? Do you want to talk about like deployment and integration and administration, or do you want to talk about? Should we talk about flavors of of DAS first? What do you think is 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 a better place to start? Let's talk about flavors of DAS. And I think this is also surprising for people because when you talk about, you know, this this thing that is desktop as a service, now you're really talking about. Hosted application, application delivery, you're talking about session hosts and, you know, shared desktops, not shared desktops isn't the right word terminology, but I'll I'll use that crudely. You're talking about VDI, virtual desktops, you're talking about, you know, so how, how does a company that's looking at this make sense of, I mean, because, you know, the technology is new in the first place, the concept is new. And then you start talking about the options become complex, and, and there's a depth of them. You know, how do you walk somebody through that decision process and help them figure out like, you know, this line of business and this user, you know, user base is here and this line of business and this user base is here and, and, you know, is it all for, or, or nothing or is it individualized,
1: you know? So, so I, I've got some, I've got some thoughts on that, Max, and because you, you, you know, the audience of people that I sell to which is the indirect channel, that these are not people that traditionally have sophisticated IT backgrounds, I always start with, you're all good consumers. And there was a day when you went into Best Buy, and there was 10 machines all lined up. They looked identical, right? They all had a clamshell design with a keyboard and a screen, And you started looking, and there was one that was $399 and one that was $2,599. So as a good consumer, you started to look not at what it looked like, but what the little card was that was underneath it. And you still then began to realize that it all comes down to four components, CPU, RAM, disk operating system. There's the cheap ones, and then there's the ones that are... So that that's... My first place is to make sure that people understand that when they are buying a PC, they are not buying the keyboard and the screen and the clamshell. They're buying CPU, RAM, disk, and the operating system. So when they begin to think of flavors of virtual desktop... Think of it in terms of CPU, RAM disk, and the operating system. and I think people people leverage that. they get it they they can understand that because that's what I'm going to deliver to you over the internet on the device of your choice. So now becomes the element of, well, do you want this hosted privately? In my data center, or Mr. Microsoft, do you want this installed in Azure? And of course, Kevin had pointed out there are reasons why you would want to install it in Azure, right? Um, And, you know, especially if you've got an office in London where they have a GDPR requirement that that data cannot leave London. We don't want that traffic to hairpin back to the United States. It has to stay built in a a public cloud data center that's housed right there in the UK.
0: And this is important, so I want to dig into this a little bit. Evolve has its own infrastructure. You have your own data centers. You have your own servers and your own storage and your own platforms that your clients can connect to and, and run on top of. And Microsoft has come out with Azure Virtual Desktop. And of course, Azure, they, well, they want to push everybody into Azure, because go figure, it makes them a lot of money. Um, and this isn't an, an either or for you. This can be a and and this could be a one or the other. I mean, it's, you know, companies that after talking to you decide, okay, it makes sense for us to have these users connect to Azure in this region, right, because they're wherever they are this is something that you still help them with. This isn't a, oh, we can't talk to you anymore because you've decided to be on Azure. Correct, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, so...
2: Yeah, if you don't mind. Um, So the one thing that I I would want to put out up front, right? When we talk about virtual desktop in Azure, the natural connection that people make is Azure virtual desktop, right? At this point in time, we actually do not sell Azure virtual desktop, right? We take the same DAS solutions that we offer out of our private cloud environment and offer those solutions in Azure, just with Azure as the underlying data center provider. There's a very specific reason, Max, that we do that, and that is what we talked about earlier, right, with RDP and and the protocol being nearly as old as I am. So with Microsoft's Azure Virtual Desktop solution, when that first really started to, to come onto the scene, one of the limitations around it was that it was still primarily using the RDP protocol for remote access to those desktops. So where that left users is, a lot of the same challenges that we historically associate with VDI of, you know, the fall down of audio and video and, and media rich applications, that stuff was still prevalent in those solutions because of the protocol limitations. Now, in their defense, Microsoft has worked to address that and change that, but We have a very good track record with the VMware Horizon and Citrix solutions that we leverage that specifically enable us to offer the best user experience that we can with optimizing that audio and video capability in their DAZ platform. And at the end of the day, anytime we're talking about any form of client computing, the most important aspect of that is the user experience. Because if users can get into the platform and work in a secure fashion, but they're not working in a way that's conducive to to how they want to work, It doesn't matter how good the solution is. They're never going to adopt it.
0: How active are, are companies, you know, are your customers on an average and saying, you know, this should be on VMware horizon or Citrix, right? Like, is this something that even gets exposed to them or just something that you go through, you know, a questionnaire and, and sizing and, and technology and stack, and it just ends up being like, okay, this belongs here and this belongs here. And it's just completely transparent to the customer.
2: It's a little bit of both, right? I'd say the the vast majority of our customers come to us and say, hey, I need to be able to get to the the grocery store, to church, and to the office, and they don't really care how they get there. And then we get some folks that come in specifically and say, I'm a Ford guy, I want to buy a Ford, I'm a Chevy guy, I want to buy a Chevy, right? So it's it's those same kind of battle lines that are drawn there with brand loyalty to one solution versus the other. Um, Each solution has its merits, right? Each has some things that it does a little bit better than the other. Uh, the vast majority of our customers at this point in time are on VMware Horizon and Horizon Cloud on Azure for our desktop solution, but we do have some customers for whom uh, Das via Citrix is the better fit whether that means they want to do some stuff with published applications whether they're layering in some additional like app protection features or something that you know ascribes to more one solution than the other but for us we're we're really agnostic in that process right We want to work with the customer to go through a pretty detailed discovery process. That will allow us to offer our suggestion for what we think the best fit is. But if that customer comes to us and says, hey, we want to do it this way versus that way, okay. No problem from our perspective. We're we're happy to construct it in, in either design.
1: You know, it's it's interesting, Max. I I would add to that that when we talked about the predictability from from the cost perspective, especially as it pertains to private equity roll ups. Um once companies have determined that, you know, they have two flavors of desktop right they have a you know they have this group of employees that uses uh, you know 6 gigs of ram and you know uh, and 16 you know and and 2 cpu and so much storage and then they want them to have this level of licensing with this voice package that's tied to their instance of microsoft teams then they have for $122.14 per employee, that is an incredibly predictable cost model.
0: The other surprise that I, I think comes out of this is at some point there was a standard that was made. Gary, you touched on this for a second, right? Like um, an organization decides, IT decides, okay, we need to have this CPU and 16 gig of RAM and this, this hard drive and this becomes our fleet. But when you, you move that, off of physical hardware and you go into a virtualization virtualized based platform which ultimately you know what we're talking about here the resource consumption changes you don't necessarily need to have 16 gig of ram per desktop you don't need to have a 10 core cpu you don't need to have a terabyte of hard drive for each user so the efficiency actually can change and also if they're still doing rich voice and video and we're talking about leveraging a desktop you know in either reclaiming the existing fleet you know this is a i have this right now with a with a organization they have four gig they have laptops with four gig right but you're still going to push you know voice and video processing down to the device so that's also coming off the platform so how do you how do you walk through that sizing exercise of saying you know like i, I know you've got this much cpu and this much ram and this much hard drive now but you know we, you don't need it anymore. I mean, is this just they have to deploy it and see it and then you resize their environment for them? Or, you know, is this something that, that comes out up front?
2: Yeah, some of it is is fa- just, just pretty evident just through the conversation of understanding what the application load looks like, right, and what the use case is for those users. Um, some of it's done through testing so we have demo environments that we can spin a seat up into to let them see that performance firsthand Mm -hmm. Uh, with our private cloud-based solution we can really limit the options to three different designs right there's a six gig of ram and eight gig of ram and a 16 gig of ram seat. cpu is consistent throughout so eight gig of ram is going to be the minimum for anyone looking to do any form of unified communications or collaboration in their seat so now the options come down to two uh the great thing about public cloud is the world is your oyster right you have so many possible permutations and combinations of resources the hard thing about public cloud is you have so many possible options and permutations of resources right that's the challenge there uh, literally the list goes from this long if you're doing a private cloud to this long if you're yeah. doing it in the public cloud for how many different seat types are available to you so now, some of it's analysis
0: paralysis too yeah
2: yeah and like you said right every client is is over provisioned if you're still in a traditional compute environment where you're going out and buying hardware resources right To so, to be yeah. a bit of a nerd and, and apply the same car analogy to it right why does every consumer vehicle have a speedometer that goes up to 170 plus miles an hour if we're not allowed to drive it over 65? Because it
0: looks cool is the answer to that question. Exactly, I mean, who to drive a?
2: <laughs> so it's the same thing when you're going down buying a laptop that has you know 16 gigs of RAM and an i7 multi-core processor that you're only running Chrome and Word on. <laughs> you know, it, it's just it's overkill a lot of times because it's easier to provision things that have more than you need than less, and you can charge one.
1: The question that I have back to you back to you two engineers is I think the obvious question is if they have 16 gig machines do they really need 16 gigs once everything's virtualized probably not conversely how many people have bought undersized machines that all of a sudden are trying to figure out if they can get four more gigs of RAM on their machine. Which of course in the virtual world is a you know is 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 a toggle.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say I would add to that too, of not even just how many folks bought undersized machines, but resource and applications requirements change over time. So if your company just went through a procurement cycle a year ago and now all of a sudden you guys introduced a new financial modeling application that needs more than what you bought a year ago. Are you going to go through and now expedite your next hardware purchase two years early? Probably not. But in a virtual environment, it's easy to just increase those resources on a user-by-user basis for only the people who need it, and it can be done immediately.
1: Quick side story, Max. One of the major um, CCAS contact center providers, recently just endorsed Evolve IP's DAS solution to work on their platform. Um, And Kevin and I both, both worked on that Um, as you know, and initially when the conversation started, it was, yeah, we think we can run your client in the virtual desktop, but the voice must run locally. And of course we were like, well, that is not necessary. So, you know, so right away, of course, the, engineers from this rather large contact center company were like, oh, no, no, we can't run the voice through the desktop. And we're like, well, you can, and we're going to prove it to you because it's critically important from a compliance perspective that the voice does run through the desktop and does not run locally. Now, the way I translate that is every application, whether it's QuickBooks or it's some high graphic audio video, they all, every every time you install an application on your machine, they all have the same requirements. It needs so much CPU, so much RAM, so much disk. So while of course we wanna test everything as long as we understand that we have the resources, we can run the application.
0: Let's talk about administration, you know, and and what the actual what's I guess let's say, let's talk about the nerd stuff, right? This is the stuff that we, we get into of like, how does this actually work? And what I mean by how does this actually work? Like, what is the process for a company that's onboarding with you to like figure out, create, deploy desktops? And then how? Who is responsible for maintaining them? Who changes them? We talk about help desk function a little bit. Gary touched on this earlier. You know wh- where where do the lines like like what is Evolve doing? What is the co- what is the company's IT department doing? How do you work together? Who's responsible for what? Um, and what does this life cycle look like?
2: The the cop out answer, right? The quick knee-jerk reaction answer is it's variable um, per customer, right? Because we offer a full spectrum that you can kind of fall anywhere on there in terms of managed services. If you want us to be the platform provider and you bring your own tools, your own licensing, your own management, fantastic. We're more than happy to do that. You want us to provide our remote monitoring and management and antivirus tools into your environment and you manage it, also perfect no no problem for us we're happy to do that you want us to provide our own tools and do the management of those tools for you from an rmm and an av perspective and do your windows patching we can do that too so really there's a little bit of a sliding scale there the only caveat that we have on all that is if you expect us to do the management, and this would really be true of any provider, we have to leverage our own tools in order to do it, right? So you can't say like, hey, I have this antivirus application that I know and love, that I've always known and loved, that I wanna to continue to utilize, I'm gonna to toss you guys the keys. If you want your provider to manage it, the provider really has to use the applications that their teams are, are adequately trained on. But yeah, you know, the the good news is the administration side of desktop as a service is pretty straightforward. Um, I say this all the time when we're doing demos in the environment, and I'd say 50-50, people roll their eyes, but you know, DAS to me, if we take the technology out of the equation, DAS is a relationship, right? All DAS boils down to is the all the spinning gears and levers that allow us to associate an operating system and the applications that we have with the users that we want to deliver it to. Everything that happens in the middle is just enabling that relationship. So if we look at it that way, all administration comes down to is managing our underlying templates, associating those templates with resources, and then assigning those resources to users. So the only times that a customer or their IT team would ever even have to go into the DAS admin portal is if they want to make changes to their images, right? If they want to provision a new operating system or push new applications, or if they want to update their underlying templates to have the latest revisions of their, you know, antivirus definitions or their Windows updates. If you structure the way you build that relationship in DAS well enough, you can do things like leveraging Active Directory security groups for all of your user provisioning. So now, presumably, the same way you do all of your permissioning for everything else in your organization, like file shares and access to servers, you can now just simply add or remove users from groups to provision desktops to them. So if I had an accounting group and I have an IT group and for whatever reason, you know, Joe in accounting moves into the IT department, we simply remove him from one group and put him into the other, and the next time Joe logs into the platform, he's now presented with the, the appropriate desktop that is mapped to that security group. So the user administration side of things is really easy. Um, the other piece that I do want to really point out is from a platform support perspective, we're there 24 seven, 365, right? Anything that that is an issue at the platform level, as far as the infrastructure to support the DAS solution, um, that is 100% on us, uh, you know, as an escalation point or a first responder. The piece that we do not specifically do in Evolve IP is we are not end user facing help desk in these environments. And frankly, if I'm the customer, I wouldn't want us to be, right? Because we're never gonna know your line of business applications as well as yourself, your team, the vendors with whom you already work on those things, right? Like, we're not going to be QuickBook ex- QuickBooks experts. To Gary's point earlier, they can tell you how to go in there and close out your your yearly books for last year. Um, you know, we don't want Gary answering the phone to tell someone how to do a mail merge in Excel. <laughs> uh, I don't think that would be in anyone's interest.
0: And this goes back to the whole like, this isn't a you're after jo- this isn't a job displacement transition. I mean, you're still your help desk is still your help desk. The, just what they're doing you eradicate stuff that they shouldn't probably be doing anymore, right? Like yep. IT augmentation, not replacement. Yep.
1: That is the the ultimate misnomer that typically happens at the you know, at the supervisor level. We don't replace IT people. We just we just get better utilization out of them.
0: So let's talk about the um you know, our favorite 10-letter uh, word, ransomware. And, you know, the the horror story for an organization usually unfolds something along the lines of somebody got an email and clicked the link and it did something horrible to the computer and then it replicated itself throughout the organization and it sat dormant for some period of time and then people came and turned on their computers one morning and they get a wonderful blue screen that says pay us if you wanted your data back. And now they say pay us if you want your data back and you don't want us to release your data, right? So um, now DAS as a technology doesn't, you know, like you can still things still happen on desktops, right? Like there's still desktops, but the cycle of this changes somewhat. So how, you know, Companies that have, you know, I don't want to say like had the experience of ransomware and are looking for preventative measures to keep that from happening again, but like what what you know, talk me through this and, and let's let's talk about ransomware and, and DAS and, and and how this shifts and what this means.
2: Yeah, so the most obvious one, right? The the easiest line to draw is that if we limit remote access into our environment, right, that every single external user who's connecting back to internal resources their machine is not becoming an extension of our internal environment by default we've now halved the amount of potential threat vectors that we have into the organization because now all of those devices are just again dumb terminals. so if my personal machine here that it's sitting on my desk gets compromised it's my concern but it's not evolve IP's concern because that's not going to be able to propagate ransomware into evolve's environment um, as you said though max right a desktop is a desktop like we talked about earlier so Is there potential for the DAS seed itself to get compromised? Absolutely, just like there's potential for any desktop to get compromised. But the thing that we have to remember is, since it is easier now to manage our desktops, because we have all of those desktops in one place with a single management structure over them, it's now easier for us to apply patches to them. It's easier for us to update our antivirus definitions in a proactive manner. Uh, It's easier for us to have network security components that are constantly evaluating that entire client computing environment to make sure that there isn't a breach or there isn't an issue and if there is an issue that that issue doesn't easily and quickly propagate across the network so again to me it's just that that human nature thing of we made the job of securing the environment easier so by default the environment should be more secure as long as we're doing the job
0: in the worst case scenario and i've seen this where you turn around and you say we have a thousand pcs infected with this thing that we have to go out and touch and clean and reinstall by hand. I mean, there were hospitals and the the the, the imagery of these hospitals where the National Guard on site in these hospitals doing the reinstallation and helping the hospital chain, trying to come back online. Um, terrifying to, to think about, actually. In, in your platform, you're not spending that time touching every computer by hand. You're deleting and recreating virtual instances at scale and you know how long does that take i mean if you had a thousand desktops that you said we wanted to delete every single one of these things and just recreate them how long does that take a company to do
2: yeah i mean navigate to where your desktops are isolate the ones that you want to uh change or get rid of select them right click delete next time a user logs in the DAS platform is going to see how many licenses you have allocated for that specific image type they log in, new images provisioned to them, and they're off and running. So, I mean, that work that would have taken a massive effort of calling in the National Guard and, and probably realistically days, right, to, to go through and reformat or reprovision physical hardware on site, now you're down to minutes. Um, I mean, depending on the size of the organization, maybe, say, hours just to, to add a little buffer in there for you know a, a vast number of seats to repropagate all at the same time, but certainly a, a significant decrease in the level of effort required.
0: But this isn't IT touches every seat. This is IT, you're talking about deleting the effective desktop, affected desktops and letting users re in, and the platform do what it needs to do automatically by itself without additional user intervention. So in theory, if you had a thousand desktops, you decided to do this. One person could delete a thousand desktops and that would be the extent of what they had to do in order to have this happen.
1: It, let's just make sure, just for clarity purposes, that one administrator can do all this without having to leave their desk. Nobody's going to visit anybody. So, um, I did. I did want to. I, I've got to kind of get to the get to the end of the time on this. Well, one.
0: I mean, we're we're right there, anyways, Gary. I was going to actually offer you the second to last thoughts. I'm going to let Kevin go first.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you can't
2: tell by now, Max, I would literally talk about this all day. I mean, I do talk about this all day, but I would talk about it with you guys all day in this uh, this venue if I could. Um, but no really you know, appreciate the opportunity for us to get on here and, and talk the technology and tell our story and um, to me, like we said it multiple times, right but it just it boils down to the biggest challenge is we know that this is an amazing tool. We know that this is a force multiplier for it departments everywhere. We know that this can solve so many different business challenges that organizations deal with on a daily basis. It's just the challenge of how do we help folks out there understand what those challenges are that this solves for. Because I, I can conceivably say you can come to me with virtually any IT problem and I can tell you a myriad of ways that DAS can help you solve that problem. So. We need to get out of that fundamental thinking of desktop as a service as being a client computing solution and think of it more as being an IT Swiss army knife, right? Like it can, mm-hmm. it can help us do so many of the different things that we need to do on a daily basis. Uh, we just have to start seeing it that way, right? We, we fall into this trap of like, yes, DAS is a remote access solution, and it is, but it's so many other things too.
0: And then for the question of what does it look like, it looks like exactly what you're using right now.
2: Correct. Yep. Underwhelming by
0: design. <laughs> underwhelming by design. Another T-shirt. <laughs> more with more, 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 less. Underwhelming by design. There you go.
2: It's more or less underwhelming by design. There we go. We can yeah. simplify that message.
0: You know, we've we've talked, about, we've, we've we've gone around the horn with us, right? But I mean, you've you've been s- selling, supporting, deploying, maintaining, involved with DAS. Now, for companies that have transitioned into this platform, understand what they're getting. And probably, you know, I I mean, I can't imagine they would, it's, it's one of those things that when you make this change, you can't imagine life before that change. So what do you, what would you say to somebody that's stumbling across this for the first time and thinking about this and kind of wondering about, you know, could we do this? Does this work? Would this make sense? You know, like the the usual question chain, right? Like, is this appropriate? Is this really going to help us at all? Like, why should we change or, you know, not do what we're doing today anymore? Um, you, you know, the, the simple answer, of course, is like, no, it just works, you should just do it, of course. But, you know, what would you actually say to them and, and how do you help them through that, you know, journey?
1: You know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, There was a time not too many years ago where if I didn't have a PBX with phones and paging systems, I would have lost my mind, right? Um, And of course, in the last decade, Nobody buys a phone system anymore. You know, then then of course it's this whole concept of if I don't have my servers in the in the in the closet behind me, I will lose control of the business. I'd say AWS and Google Cloud Azure would have a thing or two to say about that. I think the last of the late great things that you just got to give up on is is having control of that desktop environment. So I think the thing that I would say is, is that invariably you're going to do it. Just like invariably I needed my, um, you know, my 85 year old mother to give up her Motorola flip phone and get an iPhone. Okay, so you're going to you're going to get there at some point anyway. I think, again, it's just a matter of it's just, you know, Nike had it right just do it.
0: It's an in, it's an inevitability. But the faster you get there, the more you can take advantage of it and leverage it and you know, excel and and reap the benefits of it. So
1: you had a story earlier that I absolutely loved. Um and, and I'll leave you with one. We have a client that implemented virtual desktop in I think October of 2019 because they were required to do a full pandemic test imagine this right I, so they deployed it did the pandemic test sent everybody home and then all of a sudden it was no longer a test so there's an i there's an IT professional right now that you know is being hoisted up for he's a jolly good fellow and there's a lot of other. Mm-hmm. CIOs and CTOs and CFOs and CMOs and CISOs that are out there that will get the same accolades for making the move now.
0: What a, I mean, what incredible timing. Gary, Kevin, it's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure talking to you, Gary. I appreciate these very much.